technology is the only way going forward in our industry. And until we realize that, uh, we'll be paying the price. Hello, and welcome to The Modern Hotel. You're presented by Stay Flexi, your all-in-one modern operating system for independent hotels. Each episode, we'll get to know an industry expert, and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, The Modern Hotelier. Welcome to The Modern Hotelier, presented by Stay Flexi. I'm your host, David Malilli. And I'm uh, co-host, Steve Karen. Steve, who do we have with us today? Yeah, David, today we have on Mr. Max Starkov. Max was formerly the CEO and co-founder of TravelBreak.com and Whale Media Technologies. More recently, Max was the CEO of Hebs, which became Next Guest and eventually merged with Sendine. Currently, Max is an adjunct professor at NYU, a professor of digital strategy at La Roche Global Hospitality. Max, did I get that right? Yeah. Okay, good. And uh, he's also an online contributor to quite a few hospitality outlets and also an advisor to Book Outdoors. Welcome to the show, Max. We're happy to have you. Well, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. So awesome. What, what shall we talk about? So we're going to go through three areas. I'm going to ask you some quick questions. You can answer them with short answers or, yeah. or longer answers, just so the audience gets to know you a little bit better. You're the hardest working man on LinkedIn. You know, you're posting every, <laughs> it seems like every, you know, 10, 15 minutes, which is great. And you always give great perspective that I think is really appreciated by the hospitality community. The second part, we're going to ask you really some more professional questions about your career. And then finally, we're going to try to get some insight into what's going on in hospitality and the industry and trends. So with that, I'll kick it off. So, Max, what was your first job in hospitality? <laughs> it's, uh, listen, I come from Bulgaria. Actually, I was born and raised in communist Bulgaria back in the day. So, tourism, international tourism is the number one economy in the country. So, it was very natural for me to gravitate toward uh, uh, tourism in general and hospitality in, in, in particular. I mean, I did my undergraduate uh, hospitality studies and my first master's degree hospitality studies again at, at the largest university in the country, Sofia State University. And then uh, I worked for a British tour operator on the Black Sea, ski resorts uh, up in the mountains. I was a uh, general manager of a club hotel and so forth. I worked as a professional meeting planner for the main international events happening in the country, including the, uh, you know, the UNESCO General Assembly, 5,000 people, including the World uh, Tourism Organization, again, uh, 3,500 people and so forth. So I was the chief organizer of, of those events. I worked for the main hospitality chain in the, in, in, the, in the country that owned, basically it was the government monopoly that owned all of the international hotels in the country. I worked in the, you know, the corporate and I worked at the Ministry of Tourism, which was basically the, you know, the, the government body that uh, dealt with international tourism in the country. And uh, actually I came to New York City as the director of the Bulgarian government tourist office back in 89. So, in this sense, my whole career, you know, since undergraduate degree, have been in, in hospitality and, you know, tourism in general. What line of work do you think you would have been in if you didn't get into the hospitality business? It's very interesting because, you know, my, my father was a professor in journalism and, and literature. 
And when all of the other kids enjoyed the company of their fathers who took them to the games, you know, soccer games, or they played with them, my father was reading and writing. And I, and you know, when I was a kid, I said I would never write, or and I would never teach in my life. And actually, that's what I'm doing for for the last uh, thirty years at least. So I mean, uh, you mentioned that I teach at NYU. I mean, this this has been since 2001. David, you know that you you also yeah. taught at uh, NYU the Tisch Center. 2001, so it's 21 years now. I am adjunct at uh, adjunct professor at uh, NYU, and then the last three years at uh, La Roche. So never say never. That's that's the whole point. <laughs> and uh, and by the way, there's a, there comes a time when you simply want to share your experience with the next generations of hoteliers, if you will. So that's that's why I'm doing this. It's not the monetary. Uh, rewards or anything like this, I don't. I don't need that. It just uh, I want to share with uh, with the next generations and uh, hopefully help them avoid some some of the mistakes that I have made when I was uh, building my career. I agree. If you could trade places with someone for a day, who would it be? My goodness. <laughs> I mean, uh, one of my one of my absolute idols today is uh, <laughs> Elon Musk. I mean, I think that he's the only yeah. living genius on this planet today. So I would like uh, maybe not uh, to replace him, but just to to spend a day with him and see what what his line of thinking and what what his uh, how does he spend a typical day. So this this would be one of my dream, if you will, jobs. Max, are yeah, you going to be on one of the first trips to Mars with Elon Musk? I would love to do it. I mean, I have always been fascinated with with technology and the space and so forth, and I would love to do it. Believe me, even even at uh, at my age, I am I am willing to go. All no right. doubt. Well, if you do make it to Mars, you have to be on our podcast on Mars. <laughs> I will. Deal. I you will. heard it here. <laughs> Great. Max, do you have do you have a secret talent that nobody knows knows about? I don't know about secret talents. I mean, I'm. Extremely self-disciplined. I mean, I, I spent five years in a boarding school, one of these elite schools in in Bulgaria, my native country, and then uh, the two years, twenty-five months in the military, which was mandatory, mandatory back back then. So, in this sense, uh, it instilled uh, discipline, which I think that it's very beneficial. So, I'm very self-disciplined, and uh, maybe this is one of the things that has helped me in life. Organized, I would say, and I, I like to take deep dive in any subject matter that I touch, and so in this sense, uh, just more above and beyond what what your job requirements are, if you will, just to see how things connect, and to be able to see things in three D. You know, I have always wanted to go and find the, all the, the the connections and the, the bigger picture, if you will. So maybe. Yeah, great. Maybe that's that's what uh, helped me actually in in my life. That's great. Yeah, you've been in New York many many years. What's your favorite restaurant? If you had one restaurant you could go to, I have so many restaurants. I mean, I love. Uh, I'm a, I'm a foodie. I love you know the restaurant scene in New York City. It's always changing. I mean, I lived 16 years on the Upper East Side, and actually I was there a few days ago visiting uh, some appointment there, and everything has changed. I mean, that there's only one store that that remains from my time in the Upper East Side. So here in the Upper West Side, where I live in, in Manhattan, it's restaurants have changed 
And even the last, I mean, 10 years, the restaurants have changed. Uh, new restaurants are coming. Old and favorite restaurants are, are simply being, uh, especially now during the pandemic, being decimated, if you will. Yeah. So a lot yeah. of good restaurants closed because of the pandemic. And because of all of this, uh, quite often, completely random and irrational mandates that were imposed on our industry. You know, we can, uh, anyway, it's just, uh, don't start me on that, about the <laughs> irrationality of many of the mandates uh, yeah. in our industry. So, but many good restaurants and many stores, but it's not only restaurants. I mean, you, you can see empty storefronts for rent, for rent, yeah. for rent, all over the, New York City. It's, yeah, it's, it's unlike anything I've seen. I mean, I was just there last week and we were talking before we, we, we got online and, you know, it's amazing, you know, having seen the city change, like you said it perfectly, you've seen the rise and fall uh, of, of the city and hopefully the, the rise comes back because it's, it's really a shame. All right, last question for you, then I'm going to hand it over to Steve for a bit. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? You could pick one superpower. Well, I mean, the one superpower today would be to, to deal with, uh, with, with, I would say, a megalomaniac that is threatening the whole world. It's a fair answer right there. Yeah. I got a couple of questions just from, you know, you're, you're more personal on the side. You grew up in Bulgaria. Uh, you mentioned you're in the military. How did that just shape kind of the person that you are today? I mean, listen, it's... Uh, even in 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 a, in a communist country, which is centralized uh, government and uh, economy, and uh, it was a dictatorship. Though in Bulgaria, because you know we have a saying that nothing works well in Bulgaria, including dictatorships, don't work well in the country, simply because the Bulgarians don't care and everybody is is following their own private interests, and it's very difficult to to combine the whole. I would say the power of the individuals into for the common good, mm -hmm. if you will. So we are individualistic. You know, we are you know we are like a small business owner minded, if you will, in Bulgaria. So that's why communism never never worked to the extent as as it worked in East Germany, for example, in the Soviet Union and so forth. And then on the other hand, we're talking about a country of seven seven million people that is visited by more than fifteen million foreigners every year. So, so even the, the propaganda couldn't work because we were receiving, when I worked uh, at the Black Sea, Ministry of Tourism in Sofia, uh, ski resort, we were receiving uh, British newspapers, German newspapers, French newspapers in the morning before the, the main government newspapers were available, you know, in the provinces. Mm -hmm. so, so it was, you know, the... The, the centralized government couldn't even distribute their main propaganda tool, which is the main daily, you know, so that it arrives in the morning in the, in the provinces and in the big cities in the provinces. So in this sense, so we, we, were, we were never deprived from news and from knowing what's happening out there and how the whole world is, I would say, reacting to certain events and so forth. So no, nobody could fool us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is uh, something that, but other, other than that, I mean, people try to live a normal life. Both of my parents were teachers. You know, we were middle class, if you will. So I had, I would say, extremely happy childhood, if you will. Simply, we didn't know what, what we were missing. That's, that's another story. But uh, the, under the circumstances, 
you know, we had a, we had a great, I had a great uh, childhood and upbringing and went to the best boarding school, to the best university in the country. The whole point is that even in such dire circumstances, you can make a living and you can build uh, like solid, I would say, moral foundations. Absolutely, absolutely. But but I was an anti-communist from from day one. I mean, I I couldn't stand. Uh, first of all, the, when people obviously saw that uh, the black was black, but they were forced to to say that it was white simply because you know they were afraid for their families, for their careers, and so forth. So I have never, I have always been outspoken, and I have always said what what I I thought was appropriate at, at the time. But what I'm noticing right now is, is another thing. You know, back in the day, simply because people were afraid, once again, I mean, it's, uh, you had to be in line. You had to, to, on the surface, you had to pretend at least to, to support what uh, the Communist Party, what the government, you know, all the government decrees and all the government, whatever. So there was a, a certain language imposed on, on the ordinary people and you had to, you know, you had to develop like a, an official facade, if you will, which was all pro-government, pro-communist party. And then in your private life, very intimate private life, you can, then you can share what, what you really think. So people develop like this, like Janus, you know, the, the, the famous uh, double-faced double Janus. Personality, which led to a lot of mental issues for many people. And you know what? I see exactly happening here in the United States right now. With all of this political correctness and all of the wokeness, it's exactly what I experienced when, when I was growing up in communist Bulgaria. Wow. Wow. It's exactly the same. There's no difference. And actually, we are joking with, with my wife. Is it time to immigrate back to Bulgaria? You know? <laughs> Which is uh, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, was there was there something that when you were growing up maybe didn't go your way, or you know, it went different than you wanted to? That really kind of changed or shaped you, and uh, you really learned a life life lesson from it while you're in Bulgaria, though. Well, I wouldn't say life lesson. I mean, it it, it, it came naturally. I mentioned that Bulgaria is a, international tourism is the number one. Uh, sector of the of the economy, major highways, west east pass through the country, millions of foreigners. So since day one, I, I wanted to travel, and in order for you to travel, there were only few options that you can travel abroad. Because I mean, even if you want to travel to a western country, you need an exit visa. Mm -hmm. So you know, not just the visa of the country, let's say Germany or or the United Kingdom, if they give you a a visa or the United States, but you need an exit visa, which was given by the Interior Ministry, which means that uh, so people were not simply allowed to travel abroad. It's simple as that. Wow. So only a handful of people actually were allowed. And these were like foreign trade, people working in the foreign trade, and people working in tourism. So this was one of the maybe eye-opening things is that uh, when I went to this boarding school, and we met with somebody who was, uh, again, who was a you know, tourism professional at the time. And the guy was telling us about his stories from Greece, from uh, Latin America, from uh, you know, the United Kingdom. And he, he has traveled all over the world. And we were fascinated. We were just I mean, 13, 14-year-old kids. And that's what they wanted to be. So that's basically, if, if there's a life-changing moment, maybe that was it. 
when I really realized that this is what I want. I, I want to travel the world. And, you know, I have traveled, I mean, I have been to 100 countries around the world. I've lived in four countries. So in this sense, perhaps, you know, this was what shaped my desire to, to be in this industry. That's, that's, awesome. I think that, that, that's a fair assessment, yes. That's awesome. Question for you as a professor, do you have an example or do you have one story of a student that you really felt like, because again, like you, when I taught, it was always great when you saw somebody, you know, get a job or take something, you know, when they would present, you could kind of just see that you had an impact on them. Is there a, a story or an individual that you feel like it was one of the, you know, the, the best moments of your uh, teaching career? Actually, I have, uh, well, maybe not one uh, story that stands out, but I have had a lot of students that, that were doing, because, I mean, David, similar to you, I teach graduate courses. So, you know, why do people, you know, need a graduate degree? Quite often it's they want to advance in their careers or they want to change careers, for example. So I've seen a lot of people who simply did not belong in hospitality studies. Let's put it this way. <laughs> they, you know, they said, oh, my parents, uh, you know, we traveled when we were when we were young, and we stayed at this beautiful hotel. So that's why, you know, that's what brought me to hospital. I said, "What did your parents do at these beautiful hotels? They were guests, so they paid pretty penny to stay at those hotels. So go and find work that will reward you monetarily, so that you can afford to go and stay at beautiful hotels. You don't have to work at them. Yours will be underpaid." And overworked. <laughs> so that's uh, my so my first question is why are you here? When <laughs> all my students, what what are you doing here? And I'll tell you, very few of them have uh, meaningful, even at the graduate degree, have uh, meaningful answers. And quite often, it's uh, it's like very naivistic, I would say, very naive type of beliefs that oh, it's a very fun industry, which is true. I mean, I have been in this industry for forty years now. So I would not change our industry for anything on this planet. But uh, it's a tough industry. It's a tough industry. You know, you, ne- you really need to have the passion in this industry. And ultimately, you need to find your, your niche. You need to find your, your avenue there and uh, pursue it. But uh, coming to the industry, believing that you will be, uh, that it's like a fun industry and a lot of travel and this and that, that's a different story. I mean, travel means money. So you have to, you know, earn a lot of money in order to, to travel. So in this sense, uh, if you work uh, as a the front desk clerk, which is overstressed, overworked, uh, and underpaid, where are you going to travel? But I'm helping all of my students uh, finding, you know, jobs after after they graduate and so forth. I'm in touch with, you know, many of my students, and I've seen some very, I would say, students of mine that have become entrepreneurs that have become general managers of hotels, that have become owners of hotels even. So, uh, you know, I'm, I would say, very much pleased. And, and I am in touch with, with, I would say, a big chunk of my, my former students for the last 20 years. That's awesome. Do you have any specific advice you give to your students, you know, I, I guess as, you, as they leave the nest of, of college, you know, do you have any set of advice that you give them? as they start their career in hospitality? The advice that I, that I would give is, is the following. is traditional hospitality, and this is what Lausanne is teaching in, in Switzerland. This is what many of the traditional hospitality schools are teaching. Cornell does this. 
That's fine. This is the, the fundamentals. But this is traditional hospitality, which has nothing to do with, with the future of hospitality. So that's why, what is it now? Four years ago, I met with the, with the dean of the Tisch Center, Tenwayu, and we discussed what was that need that our industry, what are the skills that our industry are lacking today? And you know, we, we agreed, both of, both of us, we agreed that that was technology. So that's why I developed this whole current and future hospitality technologies course where we're teaching uh, the graduate students on, on basically that, that, that hospitality is a technology-enabled service industry. Mm-hmm. It's not a real estate industry. And I would say that many of the issues that we have in our industry, the fact that we are technology backward, I mean, David knows this extremely well, <laughs> the fact that, that our guests today are far more technology savvy and digitally savvy than, than us in our industry. And basically, we have, back in the day, I would say until maybe 15, 20 years ago, we in hospitality always provided better, I would say, environment from a technology perspective. Even the bedding, you remember the heavenly bed, uh, Western and so yeah. forth. So basically... Oh, flat TV, oh my God, it's something people didn't have at their homes. That was 20 years ago. So basically, we really provided a better home away from home. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today, we offer subpar home away from home. We are behind the curve. Our guests are much more forward uh, thinking and they're tech-savvier, digitally-savvier than, than us in hospitality. And when they come to a hotel room, they look around, they say, that's it, you know, the, the, the smart TV is the latest thing that they have. Where is the, the voice assistant? Uh-huh. Where are all of these uh, IoT devices that, that can help me manage the temperature, the, you know, the, the open the, my goodness, the shades of the, in the room and so forth. The stream, have you tried to, to, you know, to use your own Netflix on, 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 in a hotel room? It's a nightmare. And then to delete your login, have you tried that? It's impossible. So what they mean is that we, we have fallen so far behind. And if you look at the pandemic, the pandemic further, I would say, uh, further decreased our abilities to serve the new type of digitally savvy guests. Yeah. I mean, hospitality slashed their IT spending, which is all the technology spending, by 50% during the pandemic. Five zero. And then, you know what hospitality is spending. 2.5% of room revenue goes to technology. Mm. That's it. Do you think... So what they mean is... And then, and then slash it by 50%. And then slash the, the, the payroll for IT personnel by more than 50%. So basically, you have left the hotel with no investments, with no personnel who understands technology. And, and you're trying to service travel consumers who are 100 times uh, savvier than, than, than you know, the most savvy uh, person at, at your property. I mean, come on. That's, that's where we are. We, are. we are falling behind, further behind. And the main thing is, it comes from treating and this real estate mentality in our industry because the same REITs, real estate investment funds, who own the hotels, most of the hotels, they own office buildings, they own 
big shopping malls. So, and they treat hotels in exactly the same manner as they treat a, yeah. I mean, if you own an office building, what kind of technology do you need? Each company takes care of their own mm-hmm. office. All you have to do, even the internet access, is every company chooses from, let's say, five, six preferred vendors that, that have lighted the, the, the building. So all you have to do is take care of the elevators. Mm-hmm. That's the only technology. <laughs> and this is the same mentality that applies to the hospitality industry. Right, right. So well, it's very funny. I was going to say real quick, I, you know, one of the running jokes I have with a couple of friends of mine is that every year you go to high tech and you see they have this hotel room of the future, but it never actually, <laughs> it's been the hotel room of the future has been coming for 20 years. Yeah, it's the and same. It's never, the same, it's never uh, existed. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't happen. Yeah. I know, I know. It's, uh... <laughs> hey, so Max, independent hotels and resort collections seem to be on a rise. Why are they gaining traction now? And two-part question, how are we going to keep this momentum going? I don't know. Why do you think that they're, that independent hotels are on the rise? Because uh, because there is a definite move toward branditization sure. in, in the global hospitality. I mean, in the United States, already 70% of hotel rooms, not properties, 70% of hotel rooms belong to a major hotel brand. In the United Kingdom, it's 50%. In Europe, it's anywhere between 40 and 45%, depending on which side of East, West, Europe, and so forth. Sure. Asia Pacific, 35 to 40%. In this sense of rooms we're talking about. So in this sense, I believe that, and especially now with the pandemic, which, first of all, requires huge investments in technology, contactless experience, mobility, IoT, and, and I mean, I'm not even talking about robotics and AI and so forth. Independent hotel has no bandwidth, has no knowledge, has no, I would say, uh, skill set. And of course, they don't have even the money in order to invest in all of these new technologies that they need. And then the best practices, of course, and so forth. I think that branditization will continue. And actually, the major hotel chains are one of the few, you could call them winners of the pandemic. There will be a lot of independent hotels who will join the soft brands of the major hotel chains. So they will not go the franchise way and so forth. They will, you know, like the autograph collection of Marriott, the luxury collection formerly of Starwood, now, now uh, Marriott and so forth. So, so we will see a lot of those. And the main reason is that best practices, technology, whatever the technology is, you know. So the bigger hotel chains are becoming even bigger, and the independent hotels are being squeezed out. Okay, okay. And, and especially when you look at, I mean, if you uh, autograph collection by Marriott, you have been independent, you pay 25% to, to Expedia, OTA commission, you pay 18% to Booking, but another 5% uh, for the genius members, and then they have preferred, you know, another preferred type of, of positioning in, in the search the results on, on Booking, which is another 5%, so it's already more than 30% commission. You become part of Marriott, you pay 11%. So you see the difference? Mm-hmm. So what I mean is that <clears throat> I expect that the, the branditization will continue, especially the small, the true independence, that are like a single, single property independence will be squeezed out. Mm-hmm. And I agree that they will be 
you know, like Viceroy that provide mm-hmm. uh, Viceroy hotels, for example, that provide different value. They provide the best practices. They have the technology, loves hotels, for example, and so forth. So there, they will be such, they will be such uh, independent chains, if you will, luxury and boutique mm-hmm. hotel groups, which will survive. But again, they will survive only because they know technology, they know digital marketing, they have a brand presence. And they can instill best practices and so forth. Sure, sure, absolutely. So having that kind of comfort of the brand behind you, first of all, and then not having to go choose all your technology, it's just kind of there for you if you're moving to a brand instead of just being an independent. Got it. Next question for you. In, I read your uh, recent Hospitality Net article, and you mentioned in there, I believe it was a study, but the pandemic accelerated digital transformation by 10 years. What specific technology in the hotel industry needs the most improvement? Or have you seen a technology that you are super impressed with? Well, I mean, it's, I think that uh, it's not for us in hospitality to decide which technology we should implement. Uh, the marketplace has already decided this for us. Mm-hmm. So in this sense, uh, I believe that the most, the most uh, pressing need in hospitality right now is uh, to provide full contactless experience at the hotel. I mean, this is the most pressing one. And that's why if you see the, the NYU Tisch Center survey that they did with hoteliers, the vast majority of, of what hoteliers are planning to do in 2022 is connected around contactless experience. So in this sense, uh, I believe that this is uh, something that our guests require, that our guests uh, like. I mean, I'll give you one example. If you are a guest at a hotel, first of all, you hate touching the room phone. Nobody wants to touch the room phone. You don't want to touch the, the remote. So how do you communicate with the hotel? And of course, using your own smartphone to communicate with the hotel is, I mean, it's no-brainer. Everybody wants it. Everybody, it's much easier. So having such a guest uh, messaging, uh, uh, I would say, system in place, application in place, issue resolution via, via text messaging, for example, is, is they're connected, of course. So it's, it's quite often it's the same application, which uh, recognizes what kind of uh, requests you have, and then direct it to the, to the relevant department, housekeeping or engineering or whatever it is. So this guest messaging and issue resolution, I mean, they're applications that cost a dollar, two dollars per room per month. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. But you save on labor costs at, at the front desk because when somebody calls the front desk via the room phone, somebody has to pick up the phone. Who will do that? Right. You have to provide and you have to invest in bandwidth of your front desk clerks you know, to be able to answer the phones. So if you have guest messaging, all of this is, uh, is uh, automated, but not only automated, is that, for example, if you have a 100-room hotel and you call because you need an extra pillow, the current arrangement at most of the hotels is that the front desk clerk will take a note on a little piece of paper, or oh, room 405 needs an extra pillow. Then if they have the time, if they remember, they will call housekeeping and say, hey guys, bring a uh, pillow to room 405. So all of this involves a lot of people and guest messaging and issue resolution can, can solve this and not only solve this, but provide the analytics 
So at the end of the week, at the end of the month, the general manager can see, oh my God, I mean, last month we got, we're 100-room hotel, we got 150 requests for extra pillows. So let's go and buy the damn pillows <laughs> and put extra pillow in every room. Yeah. Problem solved. That's my point, is that technology is already pretty sophisticated. It's already available. It's cheap. That's my point. It's reasonably priced. And when hotels say, well, we don't have anybody here to manage this, uh, or we don't, you know, we cannot invest in technology, it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse for people who simply do not want to change their ways. That's, that's what it is. So, so, I mean, I gave this as, as, a, as an example, but for a few dollars per room per month, you can solve a major issue of, I would say, uh, reason for contention with your, with your guests and improve uh, customer service uh, big time. It's actually amazing because when you look at the way our industry is slow to adopt new technology, there's also an issue, I think, not only with hoteliers, but with some of the tech companies. So I just advised Go Moment, which was acquired by Revenate. Mm-hmm. And what I really liked about Go Moment was that they had the AI component. So there was the whole idea is, do you really need to personalize what's the Wi-Fi password or what time is checkout? And in doing my research, there were some of the, I won't name them, but competitors that they said, oh no, uh, hotels want it so they can actually personalize and communicate with their guests. And it was just very funny how... You know, I was listening and it was two separate companies and you're thinking, well, yeah, how's it, how's it any better if somebody types in the Wi-Fi password and actually makes a mistake versus just the AI knowing? And GoMoment was pretty cool because they actually had the Ivy persona and guest actually thought it was a real person, said thank you cards, made thanked Ivy on uh, TripAdvisor. So I guess, you know, you and I know how it is dealing with ownership groups, you know, the REITs. And if there was one piece of technology that you know you were if you were running a hotel and you were part of the management company is there one piece right now that you would kind of be banging the table that we have to spend money on this because it just seems like they're not adopting you know just like you said text messaging or voice assistance i mean the i already mentioned the the full contactless experience which includes of course the you know the, the mobile check-in uh, mobile keys i mean the, there's some very nifty, I would say, very reasonably priced solutions to, to adapt your existing locks, you know, with, to become mobile-enabled locks and so forth. So yeah. open key is one of those. But the one thing that I would really, really try to, to invest this year, it will be a cloud PMS. To move away from a, you know, on-property PMS to a cloud PMS. And the main reason is that all of the cloud PMS systems come with integration hubs, you know, the marketplaces with API marketplaces where quite often for free you can connect to any third-party vendor that, 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 that you want. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have that, we have been through integration processes you know, with old, I, I wouldn't name the PMS, with yeah. old like on-premises PMSs where even a luxury hotel group with 35 properties couldn't get a like a, a, a date that was closer to, you know, we need to, to, to do an API. And the first available date that was given to us was like nine months into the future. That's it. 
guys. But we are whatever is the name. We are world famous brand. You know, we are one of your best clients. Okay, so they they moved it to six months. You know, <laughs> that was that was their concession. And then two thousand dollars a day for the engineer to come. Two thousand dollars. It's man day. That was the first time that in my English vocabulary I included a new term called man, not man hour, man day. It's uh, it's uh, two thousand dollars per Monday, two days, and yeah, we did the you know the, the job was done. But my whole point is that our client was, I would say, reluctant to go through the same exercise after this experience. Mm-hmm. And what happened is that they saw the need, you know, to to adopt third party technology. Their guests demanded. You know certain services that, that, that were provided only by third-party technology vendors. Yet our client, the hotel was, the hotel group was reluctant to go through through this experience simply because it was painful, it was very expensive, and you know they didn't adopt uh, technology that was available at the time that would have made guest services much better, simply because integrations were such a pain in the neck. So in this sense, that's why. If you adopt a cloud-based PMS with open API, with, with an existing uh, marketplace, I would say that this is uh, really the, I mean, the, the biggest achievement that, that any hotelier can do in 2022. Absolutely. And then it will be much easier to implement full contactless yeah. experience, to negotiate and contract with vendors that can pro- that, that, that can include housekeeping on demand mm-hmm. during the mobile check-in, to implement uh, self-selection of rooms during the mobile check-in. So I want room 405 on the fourth floor corner room. Yeah, it's 25 bucks more, but when you look at the you know the digital floor plan, similar to how you choose a seat on, on an airplane. It's already existing. Hilton just implemented this across all of their 1,200 properties in North America. So what they mean is that the technology is out there, but you cannot have this technology if you don't have a cloud PMS with an with a open API. Otherwise, it will take you two years to implement this. Absolutely. And then once you implement uh, mobile check-in, contactless experience, mobile key, a housekeeping on demand, and uh, self-selection of rooms, then you can fire half of your front desk staff. And actually, you will not fire them because you cannot hire them. You cannot find them because of right. the you know, labor shortages in hospitality. So that's my point. And then labor costs, you know, housekeeping on demand, if you implement a program like Hilton implemented and Marriott followed and all of the major hotel chains and many independents, you don't need half of your housekeepers. I mean, in New York City, David knows. Unionized labor, housekeepers make $47 an hour. You're right. I mean, I think what's funny, too, is that, you know, just a quick funny story about the, you know, staffing and, and interaction. I was in a hotel in Miami, and a friend of mine can, hooked me up with a rate. And so when I was checking out, the gentleman behind the desk asked me, would you like an email address? And so I thought, well, my friend booked the room. You know, I, so I asked him, do, do you have my email address on file? He asked, he says, that's a good question. He says, well, let me write it down for you. And he says, what's your email address? And I said, it's last name. I said, first name. He writes down first name. 
the, the actual words, first name. I said, last name. He writes the last name. I said, NYC at Gmail. Never got the receipt. And to your point, if it was, you know, cloud PMS and everything was integrated, it would have just been simple. Yeah. But I never got the receipt. Not that I really needed it, but, yeah. you know, so that's yeah. nice so, to have. So. so this is, I would say, this is uh, something that hoteliers should uh, really consider as a super top priority. And there's some very shining examples. I mean, you, you mentioned... You mentioned the company that, that you're representing and so forth, but but I mean, there's so many good good examples out yeah. there. And then I would say the second thing that I would implement is uh, a CRM. Right. I mean, it's all about repeat business. It's all about repeat business. Repeat business is uh, five to twenty times cheaper than you know acquiring new guests today. And it's, you cannot have a repeat business and you cannot increase your repeat business if you don't have a solid CRM technology and CRM, I would say, program in place. It's, it's simple as that. So, so CRM, definitely. Uh, the contactless we mentioned, which includes also the mobile check-in. But again, it's not only the mobile check-in and the, and the mobile key. The, the full contactless experience means that, you know, self-ordering, Kiosks, uh, for example, in the restaurant and so forth, or you know, deliveries from ghost kitchens uh, or from whatever uh, restaurants around the hotel or, or at the hotel. And then, of course, in the future, and they're coming big time, we're talking about robotics that can really change the way that we uh, operate in our industry. I mean, housekeepers, depending on the category of, of hotel, the housekeeping job consists of 125 to 175 tasks. So if you break down what a housekeeper do, does, robots today can do 75% of those. You know, you have the Rosie by Maidbot uh, that cleans the floors, uh, does this much better than, than humans. You already have robots that clean the, the, the bathrooms and they clean them much better than, 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 than hotels, than uh, humans. So in this sense, of course, all of these robots that, uh, that move uh, dirty linen and, and wet towels uh, out of the rooms. Uh, so you can, we can, you can have this today. Many of those robots, are, you can rent them by the hour. And the hourly rate is much cheaper than, than human rate, if you will. So the technology is out there already. And it's coming. Before you... You let the robots you know, roam the hallways of the hotel. Simple things, guest messaging, contactless experience, cloud PMS, CRM. These are the, I would say, the top priorities that hoteliers should be, should be considering. Great. Steve, we're near the end. Why don't you ask the, the last question? I, I got to ask this. How is the, the metaverse going to affect hospitality? The short answer is it won't affect hospitality, at least in the foreseeable future. It's, the metaverse is anti-travel, first of all. If you look at uh, it's the, the, the opposite of travel, if you look at uh, what travel achieves, travel satisfies all five senses, human senses. I mean, you, you see, you touch, you smell, you know, your, your, your palate and so forth. So you have... Five human senses, the metaverse satisfies or can touch only two of them. You can see and you can hear. That's it. That's, that's what the metaverse is. So, so basically, it's a, at the best, it's a, it's a very visual 
and maybe you know it, it provides a visual environment, if you will. But the way that I see the metaverse in travel and hospitality in general is maybe applications to replace the you know the flat Zoom meetings, you know, like a more a 3D environment for your meeting where you can send your avatar. Uh, to sit at a table together with with the other people that are having the meeting and you know and just faking if you will a meeting in a in a conference room that's one of the applications or let's say conferences you can send your avatar to a conference i mean we saw all of these uh, big meetings i mean high tech including online with all of the breaker it, it can never replicate the real experience i mean the, the, let's put it this way I mean, I attended uh, the the virtual several virtual events like this, and it's it's just sad, because quite often you attend high tech, for example, or any industry event. You 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 learn more from your informal, unstructured interactions with the other uh, participants. That's where you learn the most, even from your competitors, you know, or you meet potential uh, clients and so forth. So this informal, unstructured, I would say, type of behavior is very difficult to replicate in a virtual environment, including in the, in the, in the metaverse. But I would say that uh, the metaverse may provide a funkier, more lively virtual event. But that's it. So events, though nothing can replace the real human interaction and having a a good uh, you know glass of a single malt scotch whiskey with potential client at the <laughs> bar come on you cannot have this in the in the metaverse or meeting old friends industry friends you cannot have this in the in the metaverse so meetings i would say uh, guest speakerships you know like you send your avatar to speak at a, at a conference maybe Maybe sales meetings, like quick sales meeting where you can jump uh, and go to Singapore. You send your avatar in Singapore and that uh, presents your case to a potential client. This will be interesting to see how, how, it, how it works out. But uh, this is one of the opportunities because it's all sound and visual. That's it. The two of the five human senses. So you can, you know, a sales meeting, though there's no touch, there's no human interaction, there's no reading of, of uh, you know, uh, your gut feeling tells you that not to, not to go with this deal, you know, and such things, impossible in the, in the metaverse. But this is it. So I have uh, seen some destinations are planning to do, oh, we will do a virtual, like a metaverse uh, replica of uh, our destination. And people will come and enjoy it. And you know what will happen? is that some people will behave in exactly the same manner as I witnessed. I was at the opening of the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas back in the 1990s. So the Venetian Hotel with the blue skies in the lobby, with the canals and the, and the boats in the lobby. And then there was this old couple. And they were not that old, but you know they were well-dressed, obviously, you know, people with, with means. And she said, oh, honey, why did we spent $2,500 last year to go to Venice, Italy, when we, 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 we should have come here. It's, you know, it's the same. <laughs> the lobby of the Venetian is the same as Venice in Italy. Really? 
<laughs> so that's my point. Any metaverse type of a replica of a destination will satisfy some people who will not travel to your destination. Because they will say, oh, I saw it. It's fine. I don't need to go there. So that's why it's a double-edged uh, sword, if you will, if you try to go that, that route. So, but anyway, visually to represent something or like a teaser, it, it will be used in marketing, you know, like a, create a metaverse teaser about your destination, about your product, but this is it. So, and I'll tell you, you know, at least in the, in the near in midterm future, the metaverse will be more, more hype, like a buzzword than, than anything, anything realistic, I would say. Well, that is all of our questions. Is there anything that you want to plug or discuss uh, no, no plugs and no discussion. The only <laughs> thing is that we need, we really need to address the main issues in hospitality today. And the main issues right. are not that people are not traveling. On the contrary, labor shortages, skyrocketing labor costs. And you can solve this only through technology. There's no other way. Of course, changing the business model. If you have room service, forget it. Room service, gone. If you have like a small... A restaurant in the lobby, remove it. Replace it with a robot making pizza. There's plenty of those. You know, Piestro and the likes. I mean, some shining examples for gourmet pizza. You know, a robot and a person on half, actually on part-time supporting person. That's all you need. So what I mean is that technology is the only way going forward in our industry. And until we realize that, uh, we'll be paying the price. Well, I've officially named you the hardest working man on LinkedIn. And I appreciate all your posts. I, I, what I really appreciate, and I think with the, the, the people that follow you and the people that I know who know you, is the honesty. So I thank you for that. And I appreciate you taking the time being on the podcast. And... Uh, Thank you very much. And again, let's hope that New York bounces back. Oh, yeah, it, it will. It will. It will. It's a, it's a, listen, there are a lot of interest in the city. It's a great city. I love the city, but we need better, better managers of the city. Let's this way. Okay. Take care, guys. Uh, thank you so much, luck. Max. Thanks, Thanks Max. Bye bye. You made it to the end of the Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media and presented by Stay Flexi. Stay Flexi is your modern operating system for independent hotels. If you're interested in learning more about Stay Flexi, you can go to stayflexi.com. Or if you'd rather talk to me instead, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me at steve.karen at stayflexi.com. Thanks and have a great day.